0: I know I'm not alone, and sometimes feeling like I'm holding on by a thread, as you've heard it said, where I just uh, tired, and so many things going on, so many different directions, and your emotions are pulling you, pulling you this way and that way, that you wonder how can I ever hold on? How can I ever make it? Well, the good news is that if you've put your faith and trust in Christ, you making it is not dependent upon you holding on to Him, because He's holding on to you. <laughs> That's the beauty of that song, to know that He's holding on to me when I can no longer hold on. I no longer have strength. Matthew mentioned this earlier that uh, you know Mother's Day is one of those days that has uh, mixed emotions. Uh, most of my ministry, I I grew up. I, I thought every preacher was supposed to preach from Proverbs 31 every Mother's Day. I thought that was at least a rule in Baptist churches. Uh, I've struggled with that once the Lord began to lead me to preach through books of the Bible, because then I'm not necessarily on a mother's text on Mother's Day. Uh, I'm just continually preaching about Jesus, but I think that that's probably the best solution anyway, because over the years I've learned that just as we have so much to celebrate in our moms and uh, you know i my mom uh, was not a perfect mom, my mom knew very little theology, but she had an incredible impact on my faith Uh, not only was i able to to get through seminary because my mom helped cover the cost in fact she basically by sewing uh for the community paid for my master's degree uh she's the one who got me to church my mom was faithful and that's probably the the most that i can say or or the least i can say she was faithful she was a loving faithful servant she was a servant to the community she though she did not understand a lot of theology she was faithful to her lord she was faithful to serve she was a faithful mom she was faithful to her family and she sacrificed because she was faithful you know i am i am fortunate also to be married to an incredible mom You've heard it said sometimes about someone that might give their right arm for you or they give you the shirt off of their back. Uh, I'm married to a woman who literally <laughs> gave up her kidney uh, for her daughter. And if she had another one to give, she'd have given another one uh, because of her love and her, her, her faithful service to her family. So yeah, we, we get to celebrate, but Mother's Day is also a mixed bag. This is the first Mother's Day that I will stand in the pulpit and my mom is with the Lord. Uh, Now, y'all know that for the last couple of years, my mom wasn't really here. Uh, She didn't, she could tell you everything about December the 7th of 1941 in in, uh, Pearl Harbor uh, because she was there, but she didn't know who I was for the last couple of years. And so, you know, the grief has been uh, extended and protracted to some extent, and yet uh, I'm not the only one in this boat. Many of you uh, have seen your mother go home to be with the Lord either this year or in recent years, and you've lost loved ones that, that sting. And so when we come to holidays like this, it is, a, it is a mixed bag. But I think that the solution for my heart and for your heart is always the same. We're here on Sunday to worship Jesus. I have hope that I'll see mom again because of Jesus. I have something to hold on to because Jesus is holding on to me. As much as I I love my mom, and certainly Mother's Day has a dual impact for me because it was on Mother's Day eight years ago that my dad went into the hospital where he would pass away later that week. And so this this time of year now has new meaning. It is not necessarily all all that fun to me. And yet, my hope for mom and dad, my hope of a, of a relationship in the future is wrapped up in Jesus. It is in him that I have hope in a future and the relationships that will be forever because both my dad and my mom, though they weren't the most, uh, the greatest theologians, they were faithful in trusting and serving the Lord. That's what matters, and that's what it comes down to. Today's text, we're going to be looking at how to walk faithfully and, and how to not how to avoid error in Christ from Colossians chapter 2. We're going to pick up in verse 4 and read all the way down through verse 15. I'm going to be preaching primarily starting in verse 6. Verse 4 and 5 are kind of a transition from the theological text uh, foundation that Paul has laid in, in chapter 1 and into the, the very beginning of chapter 2, and then his application of that text that comes beginning here in chapter 2. So if you would read with me the text, Colossians chapter 2, verse, verse 4 and following. The scripture says, I am saying this so that no one will deceive you with arguments that sound reasonable. For I may be absent in body, but I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see how well ordered you are and the strength of your faith in Christ. So then, just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to walk in him being rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, overflowing with gratitude. Be careful that no one take you captive through philosophy and empty deceit based on human tradition, based on the elements of this world, rather than Christ. For the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ, and you have been filled by him who is the head over every ruler and authority you were also circumcised in him. Well, the circumcision, not done with hands, putting off the body of flesh in the circumcision of Christ when you were buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And when you were dead in trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive with him forgave us all our trespasses. He erased the certificate of debt with its obligations that was against us and opposed to us and has taken it away by nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and the authorities and disgraced them publicly. He triumphed over them in him. When you get down to verses 13 through 15, I think that's some of the most beautiful, most poetic texts, and we'll get to that here in a little bit. He, he took your, your debt, your obligation, the all anything that could be written negatively about you and nailed it to the cross. What a beautiful picture. But back up with me uh, to verse 4. Verse 4 and 5 here, as I said earlier, are a transition. Paul now comes to this place where he's laid this foundation that, that our hope of glory is in Christ. It, Jesus is the, the creator. He is the Lord of all of creation, as we talked about a couple weeks ago. He is the Lord of his church. Uh, he is, uh, it is in Christ that we have hope for an eternity and a future. It is in a relationship with him, and not, no other place can we find that, that future and that relationship. No other place can can we find the, the hope or the chance that we're going to live up to be the people that God has designed us to be, that he wants us to be. It is only in Christ, in Christ in us, that we have that hope and that future. So now Paul comes to this place and he says, I have said all of these things to you. I've written all of these things down so that people will not deceive you with flowery words. Here the CSB translates it sound, uh, with arguments that sound reasonable uh, other translations carry the idea of of um, human reasoning that is uh, with 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 focus simply on the human mind that's the idea here i there's a lot of great arguments out there but paul says i've pointed you to jesus because it is in christ that you're going to find your hope and nothing else is going to matter at this point he said i I might be absent from you. I'm not there in spirit, but I'm rejoicing that to, to see how you're walking and your strength and your faith in Christ because that's the key. Your faith in Christ, your, your relationship in that with Jesus is what's going to establish a foundation where you can withstand all of the arguments of the enemy, everything that this world is going to throw at you. And so he gives then in verse 6, a command and, and right after that command there's four participles so it's 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 verbal uh, instruction that is connected back to that command but here's the command walk in him just as you've received christ jesus walk in him so the command is this walk in christ now what does that mean how do you walk in Christ. We think of obedience, and some, sometimes we think that, well, what I need to do is I need to try really, really, really hard to be a good person, and, and I've got to gin up all of the energy I can, and I've got to, I've, I've got to study Scripture, and I've got to find out what, what, what the, the do's are and what the don'ts are, what the rules and the regulations are for me to be the person God wants me to be, and I have to try really hard. As we talked about last week, that mentality is a recipe for failure. Our hope is not trying really hard. Our hope is walking in Christ, walking in a relationship with a living Lord. That's why Jesus told his disciples in John 16, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm not going to leave you on your own. I'm going to send my spirit, and he's going to be with you, and he's going to be in you. And we walk when we walk in a relationship with Christ, it is then and only then that we will bear the fruit that God desires for us to bear. It comes in our lives being intertwined and connected into a relationship with a living Lord, not a dead religion. You hear the difference? It's not about uh, rules and regulations add up to human tradition and, and God's or our men's attempt to reach God walking in a relationship with the living Christ, walking in him empowers you because it is his spirit who is at work in you. Remain faithful. This is how you're going to remain faithful in the, in the calling that God has put on your life. It is when you simply walk in him. How do you walk in him? The same way that you were saved. Hey, we mentioned this also last week. You're going to see in we talked about this in staff meeting, and I've, I've prayed that the Lord would help me to distinguish as we move through these three weeks, because there's a lot of overlap between what the, the, the foundation that Paul taught last week, what he's called us to this week, and how he's going to describe it and flesh it out a little bit more in next week's lesson. But hear this, your hope of, of being the person God's called you to be is not based upon your ability or your strength. It's based upon your willingness to surrender your life to Christ and walk in Him. So you couldn't save yourself, right? You couldn't live a good enough life. You couldn't be a good enough person to measure up so that somehow God would let you in His heaven. Your hope of eternal life was to come to a place where you say, God, I can't save myself, I'm a sinner. I need Jesus to forgive me my sins. I need his cleansing blood to cover my soul. I need you to come into my life. And, and however you've thought through that or, or whichever metaphor best uh, describes that exchange where you surrendered your soul over to him and you received Christ and the eternal life that you have in Christ. You made a, a, a decision by faith. And when you chose by faith, a relationship with Christ, he changed you. So hear these words again, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to walk in him. You must walk in the same way, by faith. A heart that is fully surrendered over to Christ that says, Lord, I can't live this life today. If I get up today and try my best in my flesh, I'm going to be a mess. I'm going to be a failure. Lord, I need you to fill me. I need to stay in connection with you. I need to stay in contact with you. I need to walk in Christ. I need to, every step today, I need to be in tune with you. I want to hear, Lord, speak to me and guide me. And and we have to come to a place that even when we don't feel or we don't think we hear God's voice we trust and we walk anyway we just continue to walk in the best last instruction that we receive from him and we continue to move forward in him now he gives us Paul gives us a a four participles here that are kind of a mixed metaphor depending on how you look at it being rooted built up established and overflowing I want to dig into those for just a second. And, and I was tempted to take these each direction because the first, the, the first word seems to be a metaphor for organic growth or agricultural metaphor, being rooted. It says you have to be rooted and established in or rooted and built up in him. So the first one is you have to be rooted in Christ. And so the, the, he uses this agricultural metaphor that your roots have gone deep into Christ. The, the, the agricultural metaphor that that Jesus used in John 15 is not a whole lot different when he says uh, you're the vine or I'm the vine and you're the branches and you have to abide in me. And the language there suggests that that the branch becomes grafted into the vine and the vine becomes a part of the branch so that the the sap would flow through the vine into the branch so that the branch could bear fruit. That agricultural metaphor is very similar to this idea. It's that our roots are grounded and they we're rooted in. Christ we we are connected completely to him we're receiving our nourishment and our strength everything that we need is coming up through the roots in Christ and then he switches uh, some suggest he switches to a a building metaphor some commentators would say that that the word for rooted is sometimes used in a building metaphor but I'm just going to walk with Paul with the words that we have and so now he says you're rooted in Christ and you're built up in Christ so your your grounding, where you're gaining all of your nourishment, your nutrition is coming from that relationship with Christ, and your hope of being built up, of growing, is in Christ. You're not going to grow in your own strength. You're not going to grow uh, by producing good works on your own. In fact, Scripture would suggest if you're producing good works on your own, they're works of the flesh anyway. They're not of the Spirit. And so in Christ, we're to be rooted. And in Christ, we're to be built up. And then it's in our faith, in our trust, this choice that we've made when we reach this point in our life and you've been there and I've been there. Every one of you have been at this point, if you've been a Christian very long, where you trusted Christ for your salvation and possibly you trusted Christ so that you could grow and become the person he wants you to be. And then you got to this place where, wait a minute, I don't feel it, or I don't see it. I'm tired, I'm weak, I'm weary, I'm worn out. My emotions don't connect with what I know to be the truth of God's word. We feel like God's let us down, or God's let us go, or somehow God's not caring for us. I've heard it expressed this way many times, I feel like God no longer hears my prayer, or God's not answering me, or God's not with me. And each time, what I wanna do for myself, I have to remind myself of this, but as a pastor, what I want to encourage that person with is, is, is the truth of God's Word. So I'll say something like this, well, you feel like God's not with you today, correct? Yeah, I don't feel like God's with me. Let's go look at God's Word. What does God's Word say about His presence with His people? Well, it says that He'll never leave me, that He's always there for me. So now you have a choice to make. His Word says He's with you. Your feelings say He's not. So where are you going to place your faith? Where are you going to trust? Are you going to put your faith in what God's Word says, or are you going to put your faith in what your feelings say? That's tough, because so often we are guided by our feelings, our emotions, our heart. They're so much a part of who we are and how we're put together. But it's so easy for us to get caught up in our feelings that we forget the truth of God's Word, and we begin to believe what we feel and we ignore The truths. We have to consciously make a decision to say, you know what? I know that I know that God's with me. I went through a time in my life where uh, it was one of the toughest times with with Katie over a period of several months, where we didn't think that she was going to live. Several times she was in ICU. The doctors had told us she might not make it through the night, and then we were we had some surgeries coming up that that we they were giving us a very low. A chance that she would survive them and even a lower chance that they were going to work. But it was her only chance, if you know what I mean. And so it was a very difficult and low time where I felt disconnected from God. And I felt like I wasn't hearing him. I felt like I wasn't serving him. I felt like I wasn't doing all the things that God had called me to do. And I remember Dr. Rainey referred to that as a long, dark night of the soul. There's times where We just don't feel it. We don't see it. And God asks us to trust him anyway. You know, that's really what it means to walk by faith and not by sight. Sometimes we feel his presence. It's easy to worship. Sometimes we see that the solution. We can see where we're headed. Sometimes we just can't. Are you going to choose to be established in faith or are you going to choose to walk by your feelings for you to 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 continue to to experience the life that god desires for you to walk in him it means that you're going to walk in the same way that you were saved it's by faith you're going to be established by trusting him even when you don't fully see it you don't fully understand it and you don't feel it and so you're rooted in him, you're being built up in him, you're established by faith in him. And then Paul says, and I love that he throws this in here, and just as you were taught, be overflowing with gratitude. Just like I told you, even when you don't feel it, even when it, when it sinks, whatever's going on, be overflowing with gratitude. Why should I be grateful if I'm not feeling God's presence? Why should I be grateful if it seems like he abandoned me? Because he didn't because he died, because he rose, because he's coming back. We have plenty of reason to be grateful, because I was dead in my trespasses and sin, and he rescued me anyway, because I have sinned against him, and he loved me anyway. We have all the reason to be overflowing with gratitude. This week when we came into staff meeting, we moved our staff meeting to Thursday, so it's a little bit later in the week, which gives me more time to get tired before staff meeting. I figured out We used to do it on Tuesdays uh, because of school. We were doing it on Wednesdays. Now we're doing it on Thursday morning. I was tired. But Matthew, when we read through the text, he pointed out this text, overflowing with gratitude. You know, there's something true about when we pause and we say, thank you, Lord, for how you've provided. Thank you, Lord, for what you've done. It changes our spirit. It changes our mindset. Thank you. Lord Jesus overflowing with gratitude as we walk in that relationship with him rooted built up in Christ established in our faith making a choice to to believe what he says and who he is regards what we feel and we're walking in gratitude it is then that we become consistent and continue being able to continue to walk in him remember that's the the order that's the command here is to continue to walk in him you do that by saying connected to christ trusting him and doing it with a heart of gratitude now how do we avoid this is what the next the rest of the section is about how do we avoid error how do we avoid running off the rails how do we avoid all of the traps that the enemy sets for us out there uh Be careful, he says, that no one take you captive through philosophy and empty deceit based on human tradition, based on the elements of this world rather than Christ. The first thing I want you to see here is this is verse eight is kind of an introduction to this. He, He gives us this command, be careful because the enemy is gonna try to derail you and distract you. And he has two primary tools that Paul's mentioning here. The first one is human reasoning. When you get to a point where you think, that you've got it figured out, or we begin to rely upon human reasoning over and above God's revelation, we're gonna be led astray from the will of God and a right relationship with God. He's gonna be able to derail us if we rely on human reasoning and philosophy as opposed to God's revelation. Now, we live in a culture, we live in a world, and we live in a time where human reasoning is held up as one of the highest uh, uh, ideals. It, it, and it, it has led us into a world of secular humanism where if, if you can reason it out and you can make sense of it, then that's what matters most. It's not the revelation of a holy God. It is what we can reason and what we can, we can come up with in the human mind. And that, that kind of reasoning is what leads us to all kinds of idiocy that we're seeing in our world today. When we come to a point where essentially what we're saying is we know more than God. Our understanding is greater than God's understanding. But what I've seen over a period of 50 some odd years of my life is that human reasoning always fails short. And here's one of the reasons that we as humans have a unique ability to accept The evidence that we like that leads to proving our thesis and to set aside the evidence that we don't like that distracts from our thesis we will we will accept anything that 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 we want to hear that proves what we're already thinking but we will deny the, the evidence to the contrary it is really hard for for us as human beings to be reasonable enough to take all of the evidence in we, we will focus on one portion or, one, uh, or another and try to go where we want to go with it. And that's how you end up with today people arguing that there should be 34 genders or 35 genders instead of the two that, that God speaks of in Scripture. Human philosophy and human reasoning will lead you away. And then the second is human tradition. Now, both of these find their way into the church regularly, but this one has been one of the most dangerous to the church over time. You know what? I don't know that that's true. I think both of them are just as dangerous. When, when we allow human reasoning to impact uh, our belief instead of God's Word and God's revelation, we put human reasoning over and above His revelation, we're in trouble. But when we put human tradition over and above His revelation, we're in trouble. Anytime that we say, well, this is how we've done it, I know that that's what Scripture says, but this is how we've always done it. Case in point, when you go back and you look at the, the Reformation, and during that time when, when the Reformation began and some of the Reformers began to say, well, we need to look at Scripture, and we need to do it the way Scripture says. We want to obey Scripture, and Scripture's gonna be only authority. And a couple of Anabaptists come along and say, well, wait a minute. Well, Scripture says uh, baptism means immersion. You you don't baptize babies. Nowhere's in the New Testament was a baby baptized. All of a sudden, those reformers go, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Let's not take Scripture that far. You know, let's not go that far back into Scripture. Let's let's take somewhere along the road. Let's pick uh, what we're going to choose. Pick where we're going to move forward with with Scripture. Any time that we say our human tradition is more important than Scripture, we're going to end up in trouble. And so Paul here, and Paul is going to dig into this a lot next week in in, in the text for next week, but here Paul says, don't be taken captive. Walk by faith in Christ, but don't be taken captive through human philosophy, human reasoning, and human tradition. But then he's going to give us kind of a prescription of how not to be taken captive. It's going to be when we depend completely and fully upon Christ, in Christ alone. So Christ is God's remedy for being taken captive by human tradition and human reasoning. Keeping your eyes focused on Jesus and on, on the life that he gives is God's remedy. Based on the, instead of the based on the elements of this world, rather than Christ. Christ is the opposite. He is the full, complete revelation of God himself. He hints at this here. We spent a lot of time on it the last couple weeks. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. God spoke to us in history through the prophets. He spoke to us in various ways. But now he sent his son, and in Christ we have the full image of God. We get to know God's heart. We get to know what God looks like through the son. And so Jesus is the prescription. He is the remedy for error. If you keep your focus on Jesus, it will keep you from being led away by human error by human reason or human tradition why is christ the remedy first and foremost verse 9 says because he is god the entire fullness of the nature of of god's nature dwells bodily in christ we've said this a couple weeks ago in the hymn back in colossians chapter 1 jesus is god to the extent that all of the fullness of god dwells in jesus there's not a pantheon of gods that we have to go and look at where, where we see God's strength here and we see God's wisdom here and, and, and we see something else about God here, God, the fertility of God here, something else about God over here. In Christ, we see the fullness of the Godhead put on display because Jesus is God. He is the remedy for error. All we have to do is look to him. And in, he goes on to say there, and we are complete in him. You have been filled by him who is the head over every ruler and every authority. So the error uh, to, to, to avoid the error of human reason and human tradition, focus on Christ and walk in Christ. Because he is God and you are complete in him. Second, uh, he, he answers the question: how are we made complete in him? So this is like a, a, a this text here, instead of being three separate points, one builds on the next, okay? So the first one is this, Christ is the remedy for error because he is God and we're complete in him. How do we become complete in him? We see it here in verse 11. First, you were circumcised in him with a circumcision not done with hands, putting off of the body of flesh in the circumcision of Christ. Now that's Paul writing to both Jewish and Gentile authors saying, look, we know among those who, I mean, Jewish and Gentile Christians, And he's writing to those who've had this argument about circumcision. And Paul's saying the reason that you're complete in him is because your heart has been circumcised. Not because of the physical aspect on the outside. So let's step away from that argument. But Paul says it is because of your heart. God has done something inside of you where he has purified you. He has cleansed you. He has transformed your heart. That's the first step in how you're made complete in Christ. The second step of how you're made complete in Christ is found in the first part of verse 12 when he says, when you were buried with him in baptism. So when you chose to give up your life, and the symbol of baptism is that you've gone under the water, you've surrendered this life, so you were made complete in him when, you, when your heart was transformed, when you were buried with him, you died to self, and then the third step in being made complete in him was when you rose up, you were made alive in Christ when you, verse 12, the second half of it says, in which you were raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. I want you to notice that, that, that pronoun that appears over and over and over in this text. It's in him, by him, through him, all through this text. You weren't baptized in your own strength or in your own wisdom. You didn't die to self in your own ability. You weren't made alive spiritually in your own strength. It was in him, by him, through him. Christ is your hope. And it is in Christ that you were made complete through that transformation of the cleansing of your heart, dying to self and being made alive in him. I'll pause here for just a moment because this reminds us. Here, remember what the passage says. You were made complete in him. Through the circumcision of your heart, being buried with him in baptism, and raised to new life by faith. In him, through that process, you and I have been made complete. You know what that means? Jesus is enough. It's not Jesus Plus, some other act of faith. It's not Jesus, plus some other second blessing or third blessing. Jesus is enough. Now, I believe there are a lot of people that are missing out on the fullness of their relationship with God. They, they, we're not experiencing all that God wants us to experience simply because we're always looking for something else. We're always looking for more. Sometimes we're looking for a feeling. Sometimes we're looking for deeper knowledge. Sometimes we're looking for for that emotional high. Jesus is enough. You're complete in Christ. What he's done in you is enough. To say that, that we need Jesus plus something else, as Dr. McGorman would say, is to say that Jesus was necessary, but not enough. You're made complete in Christ. And then Paul focuses in on what God accomplished through Christ's death in verses 13 through 15. First of all, through that death, burial, and resurrection where you were made complete in him, you who once were dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made alive and forgave us all of our trespasses. He put your past in your past. He put your past behind you. He forgave you of your sins. You're no longer tied to him. Jesus accomplished that when you put your faith and trust in him. You f- he did it. He accomplished that through Christ's death by giving us forgiveness of sins. The second thing he did is he canceled the certificate of debt and all of its obligations that were against us. What a beautiful, incredible image. Every place that I've fallen short, every place where I owed god something or you could say I, if you want to put it new agey every place where i've fallen so much i owe anybody anything I, I i owe the world i owe the cosmos whatever whatever my debt is has been erased by jesus on the cross the beautiful image of that is from one of the the last seven phrases of jesus on the cross when he cried out to tell us die it is finished there's a double meaning in Greek to that word. One is that it's come to completion. Another one of the meanings that goes along with that word is it was often used when a debt was paid in full. So when Jesus died on the cross, he forgave me my sin and he paid my debt by nailing it to the cross. And then finally, he took care of us from here on for our future because he disarmed The rulers and authorities and disgrace them publicly he defeated the opposition and he disarmed them my first thought when I read this is a military thought of him taking away all the stockpile of arms and so the the enemy no longer has any weapons to fight against us for some reason maybe because my kids watch VeggieTales so much my second thought is vegetables run around without arms okay How much power does anybody have if they're running around with no arms? Christ has disarmed the enemy. That's The, 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 the military idea is a metaphor, right? It's the idea that, that they no longer have strength. They no longer have power. The enemy, the opposition, the one who would bring you down, who would keep you from Christ, no longer has any power, any authority over you. Jesus says that in me you've been set free by the truth. The bonds of sin have been broken. You're no longer tied to the things of this world. You have a future and a hope that is in Christ because the enemy has been defeated already. Now, he may yell at you. He may may try to chunk spears at you, but he can't hurt you because Christ has already won, defeated, and humiliated our enemy. And so we can live a life Free of error. We can live a life by faith in victory. But both are dependent upon our surrender to Christ Jesus alone, because it is in Him and Him alone that we are empowered with our strength and our hope in our future. He's, he's taken care of our past, He's given us the strength and the ability to grow moving forward, and He has, kept the, he has disarmed the enemy and no longer has any power and authority over us. I I used this illustration years ago, and and let me just share very quickly as I end today. I grew up in in May, Texas, and I say a path, I say grew up, I did kind of grow up there. I grew up at home with mom and dad back in Cedar Park. I did a lot of growing up as a pastor. When I started pastoring a church full-time at 24 years old, I can tell you I had a lot of growing up to do. A lot of the people there in May, Texas, had uh, their story was they had retired to May from the oil field of West Texas. And some of them had told me, we basically got um, on I-20 and we started driving this direction until we found trees. Uh, and they were tired of being out in Big Lake and Ozona and all over out in West Texas. And, and so, uh, but they, they knew well this story. There's an incredible story of this rancher way back in the, the, the early days of oil exploration, who he lived. He bought a, a large chunk of property you owned know, a huge ranch uh, out in West Texas. And he had uh, uh, was trying to raise goats and some cattle on that property, and he was literally starving to death. And this was coming into the Dust Bowl days, and he had an oil company that came to him and said, "We believe there may be oil on your land. And uh, do you mind if we drill?" And they drilled a uh, the first you know well, the first wildcat well there, and it just literally exploded, producing hundreds of thousands of barrels of oil per day, and so. They came to him and they said, uh, hey, we found some oil. Do you mind if we drill another one and another? Well, absolutely not. Well, this guy ended up uh, that 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 oil basin is what became known as the Perpian Basin out there uh in West Texas. And the the this guy had two daughters. There's a town out there named Ira Ann that was named after him. So if you've ever seen on the map, many of us probably been to Ira Ann, Texas, it was named after his two daughters. But here's the the i told you i was going to keep the story short and i'm leaving out a ton of details but here's the bottom line he was literally trying to raise a family starving to death on on a piece of property broke poor as though he, he he had no resources and yet all of the resources of wealth more than he could ever imagine were right under his feet christians some of us are living lives in spiritual poverty because either we don't know or we don't trust the resources that God has already poured out upon us in Christ Jesus. You don't have to live in spiritual poverty. You can walk a life of confidence and victory and hope and faith if you've, al- if you've Put your faith in Christ. You're his child. You have enough. You have all you need. 2 Peter 1.3 says that in Christ we have every spiritual blessing necessary for life and godliness. You've got it all. You've got all the resources in Christ. He's calling you to simply say, Lord, take it all. Lord, I want to do it your way. I wanna quit doing it my way, I wanna do it your way. Lord, I surrender my life to you, take over and lead me. And as you walk by faith, you'll begin to, to see that growth and that maturity and that, that, that solid, established life that God desires to, to create in you. If you've never weaved all throughout this, this message, you've heard the gospel. Christ shed his blood on the cross for you. He died for your sin and he rose again that you might have an eternity and that you might have a blessed life here. If you've never put your faith in that shed blood of Christ, i plead with you to do that today. You've been listening to a Sunday morning message from our services here at First Baptist Watauga. Our family's mission is to exalt the savior, equip the saints and evangelize the lost you want to know more about First Baptist Wataga, or need to reach out to us for prayer, go to fbcwataga.org and let us know. In all things, to God be the glory, honor, and praise.